You're listening to Halloween, the definitive companion with your host, my good friend, Daniel Krupa, and me, Gav Murphy. Today, we're heading to the little town of Haddonfield, Illinois, as we tackle John Carpenter's 1978 classic, Halloween. Okay, Daniel, what is the premise of Halloween? 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween, Michael Myers returns to his hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois, to terrorize Laurie Strode and her fellow babysitters. Do you remember how old you were when you first saw this? You're definitely too young uh, to I be watching it. I was of babysittable age. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I was probably 12 or 13. Yeah. I remember watching it on my little CRT in my bedroom. By yourself? By myself, yeah. Oh, like see- late night BBC One, I reckon. Because I, I midnight screening. These were <laughs> midnight screening in my own bedroom. Because <laughs> I definitely came to all of Halloween after watching Scream, Ooh, and unfortunately, my well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you think, my introduction to the Halloween series was by watching Halloween H two O. We'll get to it eventually. We will get to it eventually, but there's a lot of that that really relies on you having seen this film. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't at the time, but then went back, obviously, and then just watched it then as soon as I was able to get hold of it. I mean, it's still very good, isn't it? Yeah. We were talking about this a little before we started this podcast. We was like, is it that good still? Or do we just look at it through rose-tinted glasses? I think it is very I good. I think it is still genuinely really good. I think a lot of what's good about it is almost a product of it being filmed really quickly. Like, so much of it. There's so many long shots. Yeah that don't cut away and it's all steady cam, which is because they didn't have much time to film it. Mm. But it gives it a really unique feel, I think. I think as we go on in this, uh, this podcast series as well, so much of what I like about this film gets removed almost piece by piece as the films carry on. And, you know, you go, oh, I really, really love the stripped back uh, score. I think that's incredible. From Halloween 2, that gets completely changed. I think what's really like... great about him, there's no backstory or there's no reason for why he's doing these things. Well, we've got to make another one, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, right. Well, now there is, yeah. Well, we're going to change that. Yeah, I think that's... The, I think that's... It's almost... I, I think it's a similar thing with Friday 13th as well. Is you can go, well, we didn't know you were going to make X amount of them. You didn't yeah. know that you wanted to... Or have seeded some stuff. Yeah, if exactly. The... But also... It, it just wouldn't have been as good then yeah. because this can just exist by itself and you can go, you know, that's that's why the new Halloween takes on straight from the end of this one and ignores everything that's come before it because they just go, you can't. We've saddled ourselves with lots of nonsense yeah, here. exactly. But there's still so much that I think, and I've, I've watched it so many times and I definitely watch it at least once a year. But even when you sat, I sat down to watch it yesterday. On Christmas. Yeah, on Christmas. <laughs> I, even when I sat down to watch it, they just go, there are some scenes which I just think, I think about all the time and genuinely how terrifying they are. always with me. Well, that's what, instead of just being kind of an errant chat about the film, because people have talked about this film for nigh on 40 years now. Yeah. We're going to go through it through a bunch of elements. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more of a structured chat rather than just go, Oh, it's good when he's oh, by the edge. Oh, you know that bit where we just basically recap the entire film. <laughs> oh, to be fair, I do like the bit by the edge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but the bit with the washing line is good, oh, isn't it? That's even better. <laughs> we should say as well, we, we were very lucky that we've actually got to visit the, the Myers house. The Myers house. We were in Pasadena, California for a, a friend's wedding a couple yeah. of years back. And we went and we found the location. What's weird? I feel like this only really happens in America. They've moved the house. Completely. I didn't know that's a thing that you could do. Like brick by brick, panel by panel. They've, they've moved it, it. And they've put it further down the street, I think, or maybe mm. a few streets over. And it is, I think, a solicitor's. Something like that it was, yeah. And they don't mind you taking pictures outside because they know people are going to do it. The thing that I kind of don't get about moving houses, right, is... <laughs> it's not in that sense. Because they've just... Have, have they decided to move it because making houses is expensive, but it actually moving one is easy? Because it's not like they've moved it to make a Halloween museum with it because they haven't. No, because that's been capitalized very much on by the people next door. (laughs) Oh my God, yes. (laughs) For for 10 bucks, we went into the official, unofficial Halloween museum, which was a room with some Halloween memorabilia in and we could go into the garden and they had a Michael Myers kind of Prop, yeah, man. we've got quite a lot of photos of it. Yeah. Like maybe we'll put we'll put that on Patreon for sure yeah. so people can have a look at it all. Yeah, we did that. But then do you remember also there's a museum, it sold some stuff and it was like you and I have bought some tat to do with films over the years. There was nothing in that place worth buying. 
Yeah. Um, but then, do you remember inexplicably there was just another room that they uh, dedicated Hocus Pocus? They're yeah. like, oh yeah, we also like Hocus Pocus. So, do, you, there you go. do you like that as well? I seen the ten bucks. We were like, was that filmed at the same house? Oh no, no one. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, My wife's just really into it. And then do you remember there was like a big box of DVDs that they were selling? Yeah. There was all like water, like there was like a, a series three Arrested Development. And the Water Boy was in it. <laughs> yeah, the Water Boy was in it. It's so strange. But there's definitely we've definitely got photos of us recreating the standing in the clothesline thing. Not as well, obviously. No. But we was, it, nobody can do it as well as Nick Castle, exactly. Which is probably a recurring theme of these podcasts. Definitely, yeah. Um, but it was very cool to be in that area. Mm. Pasadena is. We've been to LA a few times. It's a very different um, feel of LA. It really is, and yeah. I guess that's why they used it for the Midwest because yeah. it does feel a bit more small town America. That's what I generally love. Maybe about I mean, I grew up in a really, really small Welsh town, I and mean, it obviously looks very different. But I always, I don't know, I always love the look and feel of these streets because it feels like there's something really uniquely American about them. Like that couldn't be anywhere else. What I think is weird looking at these streets as well for a British person is each house stands alone. I don't get that. And it, because I guess they're just blessed with loads of land in America. Yeah. It's like, let's everyone spread out a bit. But it's weird because in Britain, you live on top of other people. Yeah. And like, I lived in a semi-detached. My grandma lived in a terraced house. Or You're on you, top of it. You, you basically can hear next door is his business. Yeah. But also at the same time, the, all the houses on the street would look exactly the same. Whereas in oh, America, America, they just go, no, oh, fucking, we just got different, we got different shape, different shape, different color, different everything. Yeah. It's bonkers, isn't it? It is weird. And I guess... No, we keep an eye on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, can you do it in the same style at least? But what's, I guess that works really well with the finale of the film. I say finale, it's like the last half. Yeah. Is when they're opposite street, then their house is opposite <laughs> on the street. Yeah. There's a big back and forth, back and forth between those two houses. You have no idea what's going on. No, it's, uh, I think... It's actually quite confusing in some bits because there's a lot of to and fro in. There's stuff I remember happening in one house that actually happens oh, in the other house. Oh, hundred percent. And then not only is there a lot of to and fro in, but people <laughs> change from which houses they're going yeah, to yeah. as well. And like at one point, someone- It'd be a good diagram series, actually. It really would. I might actually get on that. You should definitely do that. Yeah, at one point, Laurie's on the phone and she thinks she should be speaking to Annie because Annie should be in that house, but she's not in that house. Mm. And there's loads of bonkers stuff like that going on. She even says, like, Annie, Annie. And she's actually talking to Linda. You know that's confusing? The fact that Annie's real name is Nancy Loomis. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy's from Nightmare on Elm Street, and she's called Loomis. It's a lot going on, isn't it? So our first element is mask ranking. So every episode, we're going to review the mask and update our rankings as we go on. What do you think about this one? It's the best. It, like, this is going to stay at number one, surely. It was so lucky with it because that shot where she's in school and she looks across, it looks like a real person, but it looks like there's just something completely it off about face, it. Though. Yeah, it really does. But it reads as there is something wrong with it. Because I think in later ones, they go too expressionless, too yeah. nondescript, too white. Mm. Whereas this, it has like light and shade to it. Yeah. It's got definite features. I know famously is a Captain Kirk Star That's Trek. That's right. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They spray painted it white and they gouged the eyes and stuff yeah. like that, messed up the hair. But it's got proper pronounced features like lips yeah. and nose that catch the light really well. Yeah. I think that's why it works so brilliantly. I also really like... In some of the films as we go on, there's a really labored way of him finding the mask or making the mask or doing something with the mask. Whereas this, you don't see it, do you? So you just hear, oh, there's uh, been a break in. There's been the a break work. in. Uh, he took this and a bunch of Halloween masks, they say. Yeah. Just loves um, it. Well, I guess this is the thing. Why does he wear a mask? True. Because well, he, he does have a bit of a, a jokey side to him. Yeah. Is it just because there's, it's no one's scarier. Gonna him. No one's going to recognize him, but. But he likes to scare people. How are you making... I mean, from a production point oh, right, of view. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Sorry, I'm very, I'm very much in the mind of Michael Myers right now. Why am I doing that? I've been in a no, sanatorium right, for 15 years. Because I think this is another thing we'll talk about, you know, when we talk about his motivations and things like that is a lot of his stuff does seem to... Some of it does, seems to be a lot more planned than others. Mm. And I think the masking is a really interesting thing. What is really strange, though, is... I know he went to prison or went into a hospital when he was six years old, and he's meant to be 24 when he's out? Or tw oh, he's, 20, he's 21. 21 when he they, comes they out. They get the age wrong in the credits. Right, okay. <laughs> um, 
I think it's 15 years later. Yeah. So he's 21. He's aged terribly. I know we only see his like, features now and again, but even when you see it like sort of at the beginning, he looks like a 50 year old man. He's not even had a paper roll. It, I can't understand how he's aged so terribly. Obviously, it's not speaking from experience. It's not a hard life, is it? What? Stirring day after day? Yeah. Into space. He's not even really. He's not doing anything. He's but, not doing anything with his time. Yeah, but imagine how, imagine, true, mm. but imagine the psychological pressure of just wanting to kill someone for 15 years. Maybe that does age you. From an early age. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that does age you. That we do, I mean, we don't, hopefully, we'll never, we'll never have to deal with that. <laughs> Inhumanly um, patient waiting, it takes its toll. It takes its you. toll on you, yeah. You must be eating. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah, but what's he? What's Michael Myers eating? I'd love to watch him eat, <laughs> just to see what he's you, like. Well, I didn't know where we get onto this, but you know they filmed some extra scenes for Halloween for when they showed it on TV because right. I think a network bought it for a ridiculous amount of money, and they're okay. like, it's quite short. We'd like to do two hours of advertising with this. Right. So when they were about to film Halloween two, I think they yeah. had, obviously had a crew. They had Loomis. So they film some extra scenes to drop into the TV version of Halloween. Yeah. And one of them is um, Loomis visiting Michael in the sanatorium. Right, okay. So the first scene is six months after the end um, of the prologue where mm. he kills Judith. And already Loomis is like, you can never let this kid out. Right, okay. Yeah. He should go to a maximum security prison. Mm. But you actually get to see him visit Michael in a room. Yeah. And Michael is just staring at the window. You fooled them, haven't you, Mike? But not me. You are right. I think as the mask goes on, it gets worse and worse. And I think the idea behind the mask as well becomes a lot sort of more labored and a lot muddied because people don't really know. As you say, like, why is he wearing the mask? What's why scary? is he doing yeah. this? You know what I mean? It becomes Whereas, a crutch, doesn't it? It's the same the thing with um, Jason and the hockey mask. Once that gets established, yeah. he has to keep getting one in different ways. Yeah, that's right. I guess a, a part of the part of this, I think I've always excused it away as it is. Most of his stuff takes place on Halloween, mm. so is he wearing it so he can sort of in the first film anyway blend in, mm. like and just be part of it? Do you know what I mean? And just no one will really look twice at him, whereas they might look at his yeah. face for something else. As it goes on, though, you just go. I guess, I dude, we know it's you now. Maybe we should end up talking about the psychology of Michael Myers properly for too long, but go. But then he has some awareness that he doesn't want to get caught until his work is done. Mm. Maybe if you're going to get analytical about it, he also does his first killing with a mask on. Yeah, in that's a Halloween true. outfit. He kills Judith dressed up as Halloween. So is he just yeah. going doing the thing he did before? That's right. I think originally it was going to be a clown mask as well. Like that yeah. was one of the other options that they had. I wish I think um, Carpenter quite likes it make, makes sense. Yeah. Do you know there were two other celebrity masks considered? Go on. One was Spock. Okay. And the other one was Richard Nixon. And they were ditched for being too recognizable. Yeah, there's absolutely no way, is there? Because Spock has the ears and the... <laughs> look sort of, at the ears. Look at the ears. And I guess like the hair would be slicked back yeah. and really strange. Probably rubber, actually. And then Richard Nixon is going to be the cartoon Richard huge Nixon. nose. It's going like, to uh, yeah. look like Point Break. Yeah, it's going to look like Point Break. You put the clown mask in it and you do that school scene again where Laurie looks out the window. <laughs> like, it is not the same impact. It could, like, there's a version that is scary, but in my head right now, it's just funny. Yeah, it is. But also, I think motive is very clear then because you just go, well, you're there to shit someone up. Yeah. Whereas when you go, is that someone's face? It is it someone's face. Is it someone's face? Is that a normal I person? I think that's like, why some of those early scares work so well. It's like you're saying, it does read as a face and you go, yeah. why is it so white? 100%. Not moving? Whereas if that is a, a clown mask or Richard Nixon. So he's taking the piss him. That's really strange, isn't it? <laughs> I think this is another thing as well. When you look at something like this film, obviously films are made to make money and that's kind of it, right? Whereas this is obviously elevated way above that. Like, you know, it's yeah. talked about, it's written about, and it's, people make podcasts about it. Mm. At the time, they wouldn't have known that they were kind of making that. Obviously, There's I'm a bunch of kids making a film exactly to hire, really. Because yeah. I think similar to Alien, this is B movie material, and you've got really good people in who yeah. have taken this to something else that you would never expect it. Even though I know the production team singled out Carpenter, they're like, yeah. we need to get this guy, and that's why yeah. you got a lot of creative control. It's interesting as well because the mask is, as you say, weirdly emotionless, but at the same time, still conveys quite a lot. I guess it echoes Loomis's dialogue, doesn't it? I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, 
no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Might as well wear a mask because his real face is a mask. Absolutely, yeah. It's just a good mask, isn't it? It's a good mask. And it's inter- it'll be interesting to do- revisit this ranking as it goes on because I think we will basically be going, right, is it better than the first one? And I think a lot of times the answer is going to be no. Are you all right? You're all right? Yes, I'm okay. He's gone. He's gone from here. The evil is gone. Well, we've done the mask, but equally important is the man behind the mask, Gavin. <laughs> And that duty this time around falls to Nick Castle. Yes. Also, the shape, which for years baffled me as a child. Yeah, I genuinely yeah. thought it was a real weird thing that there is a Michael Myers in the credit, but also he was credited as the shape. Yeah, it's really strange, isn't it? Again, you go, you go into this idea. This is a cool fact. You know, the, the name Michael Myers is never spoken in the film. Really? He's only ever referred to as he or him and as Michael, but never by his full name. Mm, that's really strange. So it? it's yeah. that, I think this idea of like hollowing him out as a person, yeah. and that's why he's called the shape. But I think Nick Castle's performance is, I think that like the first mask is the one that we're going to keep coming back. Yeah, it's probably lodged there because it's the first one you ever saw. Mm. He does walk in a particularly menacing way. Absolutely, yeah. Like with, with a strange purpose. Like the weird, the one that I really like is when he's walking around the side of the house mm. and Tommy's watching him from across the road. Oh yeah. And he walks around and it's this weird walking with purpose, but also without a care in the world at the same time. I was like, I don't know how you do that. And he just feels like he's got really heavy feet, like he's properly grounded. Like there's no way you could knock him over basically. Laurie. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I couldn't Laurie, even face it. Laurie, there. It's hard to imagine anyone else doing that sit up quite as well. Yeah. <laughs> Because The Undertaker does it in wrestling and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's a weird choice, isn't it? I wonder how much of that came from him and how much from that came from Carpenter. Yeah. But I think it's one of those things that you probably don't think is that special when you watch it. But mm. then when you watch other people try to do the same thing later on, yeah. you realize how good Nick Castle's performance was. One of my favorite bits of him is when he grabs the kid coming out of school because that looks like a tank grabbing him. Like he's so sturdy and that kid doesn't move and he absolutely shits himself. But the way that he holds it, like, it's terrifying. How, so this is, has he been lifting weights and things like that? Because I feel like if a guy is pure evil, I'd be like- I love it if there was a GQ article. But yeah, (laughs) how to lift like Michael. But if he's pure evil, let's not have him training. (laughs) Let's not have him training every day and get himself really fucked. We've already asked what's he eating. What's he eating? How do you get the Michael Myers stomach? Yeah, he's just getting like protein shakes and he's going to be like, knock that on the head. No, if anything, we're going to overfeed him like burgers and stuff. Slow him down. Slow him down, yeah. He's got abs of evil. Absolutely. We're like, you know that one who's pure evil and if he was ever to get out, everyone would die. Get him off the bench press. He is not allowed to bench press. Who let Michael have weights? <laughs> what are you telling you? Because he must have been looking after himself a little bit, you know? I mean, he looks trim in the most recent one when they go and do him for the podcast. That's another, uh, that's a really good point, actually. Why are, in, why are evil people allowed to lift weights and get make themselves stronger? You know, we're making criminals stronger in prison. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about back to the... Well, what are we doing? We're getting them off the drugs yeah. and making them stronger I'm thinking, to make them better criminals. I'm thinking about like the lead characters in both Cape Fear films. Like there's a huge training montage of yeah. them just like getting really buff. Me like, none of that. No, yeah. absolutely not. You were too powerful going in. He's learned German. Yeah, absolutely not. He can go murder people in Germany now. Well, I guess that's the, that's the whole problem with rehabilitation, isn't it? Yeah. Like, are you just making them better? Just making them better at being criminals. Oh, he you know, it was a good comment. This com- is based on nothing other than having seen Cape it, Fear. It was a great comment when he went into prison. Now we yeah. can speak German and French. <laughs> <laughs> it's even better now. A mate of mine went to prison, he learned graphic design. <laughs> yeah, what's he, what's he now? He's forger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Michael? Michael? 
His performance in this is really, really good because there's nothing that's come before it. I think that's the point. And you're asking very little of him as well. Yeah. I bet he never thought in a million years this would be so no. famous. Because he, he's always like just one of Carpenter's mates and yeah. he stick this mask on and walk around a bit for us. You definitely don't. I think it's really interesting. I was reading Donald Pleasance's uh, quotes about Halloween before Halloween came out and then after Halloween came out. His attitude towards those films changes drastically once it becomes yeah. the like world's most uh, lucrative independent film ever I mean, made. I mean, Loomis is around for a lot of those sequels. Yes, exactly. It? It's weird that they got him because that must have been the smallest film he'd been in for quite some time. Yeah, well, it took five days to do his shooting and he's in it for 18 minutes and he got paid 20 grand. Not bad from for back then. Which we discovered as well. Christopher Lee turned down because he said it was too is too little money. We wanted Lee or Cushing, yeah, which is cool because he's obviously going to the horror films that he watched as a kid. Absolutely, going, yeah. Because I guess with Loomis, you need someone to add that gravitas. Yeah, absolutely. Some especially some of the lines that he says, you cannot deliver that unless you have the balls to deliver yeah. it. Or been to Rada. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think they said like they wanted a classy British actor to do this bit because it does elevate it a lot. You know, because Imagine if it was Michael Caine, yeah, exactly. I love it if Michael Caine was hunting <laughs> down Michael. Well, that's the thing; you just never know what could have, who could have turned up in this. You know, and like their careers could have had a different trajectory. But it is really funny. I think Don Pleasant says something about his daughter really loved the soundtrack in Assault on Precinct Thirteen, oh, and wow. it's full of bangers. Assault on Precinct Thirteen is so good, and that's why he took the thing to doing it afterwards. Like I watched an interview with him talking about like Halloween Five or whatever, and he's like really getting into the mythos behind uh, Michael Lewis, Myers, yeah, and it's yeah. like, oh Jesus Christ. A bit like Anthony Daniels, like when he used to talk about Star Wars, he's a fucking hater, and now he loves it. He seems to have a lot more Halloween anecdotes yeah. these days, Donald. This is 100% the best performance because nothing has come before it, so there's nothing to base it on. And I do feel, as an actor, I guess, if you're being asked to do something which doesn't acquire a lot of you, that is almost it's quite limiting in a way because you don't know you are going to have to look at the other ones and then you go well okay if i've had both my eyes shot how am i swiping at someone and you just go there's no way of really doing a lot of the stuff they asked michael to do afterwards with that same kind of like muted menace it's hard because it's is this one is so iconic everything he does seems perfect and you could very hard to imagine it a different way yeah is it the most famous silent performance in a talkie <laughs> I can't, possibly. What I think about it as well that I really like, and, and it comes into, I don't think it's, it, it was never a contender for one of my favorite kills, which we will talk about later, but Annie's death in the car. It's so weird and so frenzied at the same time, but it's almost like he's in complete control and it's really hard to do that because- I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> and it, but it's like, it feels really messy, but it always feels like he's in complete control of it. Mm. It's a really strange one. Again, just pure evil worry. There you go, yeah, Confident, exactly. isn't it? Confidence, yeah. He never thinks that any of these are going to go wrong. He's gone. <laughs> he's backing himself. It's Michael Myers backs himself. <laughs> that's that's um, a quote from the GQ article. Mm. It's, a, it's the sort of confidence you only get when you're animated by pure evil. Yeah. <laughs> what do we do? He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. I'm going to wait for him. Okay, in horror movies, people make stupid decisions. It's going to happen. What do you think is the stupidest decision made in Halloween? It's got to be Laurie dropping the knife. When she gets attacked, she has the knife. She yeah. attacks him. And then she throws it away. And goes, ah, it's fine, it's over. I guess she doesn't know, though. She doesn't know but at that point. He's just behind the sofa. You don't... I wouldn't take the chance of, no. like... Oh, I don't need this knife anymore. No, and then right. leave it in proximity to him. That is really silly. I think for me, her assuming he's dead for a second time after stabbing him with a really weak thing—that's almost a worse decision because she just goes, "Ah, she's he's probably dead now this time." Is it turning your back on him? Yeah, I guess any time. If somebody's trying to kill me and I think I've killed them first, mm. I'm not turning. I'm not turning my back on them. No, that's true. I'll keep an eye on them. I reckon. It is, I mean, it obviously you want to, you would keep yourself armed constantly. Yeah, and I wouldn't be like leaving weapons in his um, field of vision. Especially his favorite one. Well, a knife. Like, yeah. Well, I thought so. <laughs> he really loves that knife. Uh, so I, I, I've been in cinema screenings where she throws that knife and people just audibly groan. Really? Yeah, okay. and people go, oh, which is a good reaction and you yeah, want that. Yeah, yeah. 
from a horror movie audience. It is a stupid decision. My my one is, we're just putting Loomis on guard outside this house by himself, are we? Like, the police leave him pretty sharpish. He's there all day by himself. Mm. There's not another police car there. Nobody else is with him. What? What's going to happen? He doesn't have a phone on him because mobile what? phones don't exist. <laughs> He's just hiding in a bush. Yeah. What is what is what is the deal? What You're, is happening? What what is, what's, what's the plan there when Michael Myers come comes back? back? Another stupid decision, giving Dr. Loomis a gun license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he loves it, doesn't he? <laughs> Absolutely the loves amount, it. In the first two films, the amount of scenes which have people just looking at him with a gun and going, absolutely not, no is way. Is he allowed to have that? Yeah. Should he, should he have that? What's his backstory? He's a British guy who just loved guns and he was like, I'm going to move to America. Absolutely, yeah. They give him one anyone. Because that, that's the thing I just can't get my head around is he's out of the game for so long and he's just standing outside the house. He's standing outside the Myers house all day until it gets dark. It does mean that you get that uh, mad scene where he's putting on, I don't know what accent to go, hey, Lanny, get your ass out of here. And he has a little like smile on his face. He looks so happy with himself. I was going to ask you about that. What Do you think he's a bit more of a laugh than we give him credit for? No, I don't think. <laughs> no, I don't think Dr. Sam Loomis is much is a laugh. laugh. <laughs> he spent 15 years trying to lock up a kid. I don't think he's a laugh, no. Because I, I think, I also think the way that he distills information to people is really bad. Yeah. Um, and as the film goes on, you see that a little bit more. He's not very good at communicating. This is a good question. Imagine if you were a clinical profession, you have yeah. met what you consider to be pure evil. Yeah. How do you effectively communicate that in a way that doesn't alienate the audience? Or doesn't alienate every single one of your colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> because if you say he's pure evil, people stop, sh- you go, ah, oh, you're overreacting. Mm. How do you get that message out there that you have basically found pure evil in a 15 year old boy? I think what you do is you do everything, you do the opposite of everything that Played Loomis out. does. All right. Because <laughs> he really doesn't. And do you write, like, the, write the, but he's written the report. Well, that's what they I don't mean. believe him. It's because I don't think he's a laugh. You think if it was more of a laugh, they believe that. 100%. I would believe someone who was a laugh over Which someone who was not a laugh. So in his, like, right, so 300-page yeah. um, report on Michael Myers, yeah. open with a joke. <laughs> well, also, is he, you know, he's saying, like, oh, I spent how many years trying to reach him? At 50. Whatever it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whatever, like six years and then another trying to lock him away. Is that every day? So in the additional scenes, does he have holidays? So in, the, in the additional <laughs> scenes for TV, he, he gets really angry because he, he he goes to a board yeah. and they're like basically going to put him in a minimum security okay, yeah, place, yeah, Smith yeah. Grove, where he escapes. And he's Did like, he kill one person he's when he's like, a kid. I've been spending four hours a day with him. Yeah. It's like four hours a day. Do a full shift. Four hours a day with this boy. Every day for six months. Maybe do an eight-hour shift, Loom. Because that that's not a lot of time to distill whether or not someone <laughs> yeah, is evil. In Smith Grove, he's like, oh, you should come in there. He's fine in the afternoons. Well, because that's a he thing. He loves it. He says, I spent X amount of years trying to reach him, then X amount of years trying to put him away. And it's like, but... Half days. Are they though, are they half days? <laughs> Can you go on holiday if you're Loomis? Like, because you're not enjoying going to Hawaii for a week. Well, unless you like call it, is he still pure evil? Yeah, yeah he's still yeah, pure he evil. Is. Has he done anything while I've been away? You're not you're not able to relax. He's not going sitting on Hawaii listening yeah. to podcasts. That's a man going. that's not relaxed for 15 years. Also, can you think about, you know, like holiday blues and like <laughs> the Sunday fear. Imagine the holiday blues, but what you gotta go back to is pure evil. <laughs> he's just he's having his Sunday bath. And he's, he's just like, like, oh my god. Yeah, like the last day after the Christmas holiday. He's like, well we've got oh fuck's sake, and with Myers tomorrow again. Do, do you think do you think he gets to around what what date in October do you think he gets to? <laughs> yeah. Where he just starts getting really edgy around the office. Yeah. I I think that because that's the thing. When people say stuff like that, you go, you must have been doing other things as well, especially if he's only doing four hours a day. Mm. There's no way that's not affecting every single part of your life. Life to the point where I feel sorry for his other patients. Yeah. His wife's left him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there was a scene where he said Michael's name in bed. There was a scene where he talked to his wife on the phone, but, or there was going to be one. And I think uh, Pleasance was like, no, let's get rid of that. Cause he should have, he should have nothing going on in his life except for Myers. It's basically what we're saying. He would have dedicated his life to keeping him locked up. Well, for four hours a day. Four hours. Well, he's got some downtime. But also at the same time, if Michael's not talking, do they think he's doing a full shift? 
and he's actually just off playing golf or fucking about. Because like, well, like, he'd be like, oh, how long was Loomis in you for yesterday? Michael's just staring at yeah. the wall. All right. Where's Loomis? Yeah. Oh, he's down the gun range. Yeah. <laughs> I do generally think leaving Loomis to watch where they think he's coming back, where he has, Michael Myers already been back to that house. Yeah, they missed him. And they missed him. Leaving Loomis by himself mm. on guard is a bonkers decision to me. But one that maybe doesn't have the impact of Laurie leaving knife. a knife. So maybe in the end, even though it was a very stupid decision of those police, they did have a lot of other stuff going on. And they might not have believed him anyway. They might not have believed maybe him Maybe they anyway. just got, yeah. they'll keep him quiet for the evening. At least we know where he is. <laughs> He's not bothering kids or he is. But I feel he like is bothering kids. You would just go, we'll just stick one copper with him or something like that. Yeah, unless it's really busy night. I guess, yeah, I guess Halloween, Halloween is a busy night busy for night. a small town. People are just pranking. There's been a break-in and stuff like that. Yeah. Tell you what, though, kids get a bad rap in this film. They're blaming everything on kids. Like, they blame the hardware store robbery on kids. They blame the stealing the tombstone. Oh, probably kids. What kids are doing that? To be fair, Judith Myers' murder. <laughs> Who did that? It was, it was kids. Kid. Kids. kids. That's his fault. Is your brother. It's his fault. That's the thing, yeah. Oh, it wasn't. I do, I do like when the, the graveyard guy is taking him up to look at the tombstones and he just go, oh, whose one is missing? You're not going to believe it. The one we were coming here to look at, Sam. <laughs> I can't believe that. He's just like, why are you even bothering to check the paper? He's like, who was meant to be buried here? Oh, let me just have a look. Oh, oh my, my God. <laughs> you're not going to believe it. We were walking in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I knew a tombstone was on you anyway. Um, one seems to be missing. Don't worry about it. So yeah, I think maybe stu yeah, stupidest decision. I, I guess it's got to be Laurie then, isn't it? I think just throwing the knife away. Yeah, would have stopped the film earlier. But that is a particularly bad decision, I think. Mm. I can. I'll, I'll give it that. That's fine. <laughs> Excuse me, Laurie. Oh, Mr. Brackett, I'm sorry, Mr. Brackett. Oh, I didn't mean to startle you. That's oh, all right. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? What do you think the scariest moment is? I think there's so many to pick from. Mm. I think the one that always stays with me, and it, I think is the best of a similar group of scares, yeah. is him in the hedge. Yeah. There's well, a I few think, yeah. like that. There's the car, it's the sheets, the hedge. Yeah. They're all the ones that take place during the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's my favorite, just because it's such an odd image. The fact that Laura is the only one who sees it. Yeah. And the fact that he's gone pretty quickly. I do, yeah, I do think that. But also as well, in the sense of, she kind of lets it go a couple of times. She lets it go from school because she's kind of like, okay, well, was that guy there? Well, he's gone. Okay, whatever. Could just be looking at the building. With that one, they actually acknowledge it mm. together. Then Annie makes that joke when she's outside and started like about him going on a date with her and stuff. So that almost makes it a little bit scarier because there is a creep walking around yeah. following them. I think that's the way it's like somebody could legitimately just be stalking you and that's yeah. what the, the fact that they're tormenting you i find really unsettling and i guess also at the same time what you can get away with because you obviously for a lot of horror movies in general you have to explain quite odd behavior from the main protagonist because you just go they need to act not because you know a huge part of watching horror movies is is people and the reaction that you have is like why would you go why would you do that why would you go upstairs why wouldn't you shut the door why wouldn't you take the knife so you have to excuse all this like strange behavior but i guess the thing that you can explain that away is it's halloween so mm. even though there's someone creeping on them and following them around and things like that you can't explain that away going people will be fucking about on Halloween. Everyone is entitled to one good scare. Exactly. I think why I like it also, it, it's almost the opposite of a jump scare. Yeah. Because it, it holds for so long, the character registers it, you go back to it, it yeah. gets closer, you're allowed to clarify what you think you're seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just really unsettling. I do like that scene. I think the clothesline one for me is a, a more horrible one because it's getting closer. The sheets one. Yeah. That's my, that's, that's my, that's yours, that's isn't my it? one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one is weird because I wanted to ask you about this. Mm. With the hedge one, you see her look, you see it go back to her, goes to the hedge. I know with the sheets, she's, she's looking at it the entire time. Yeah. It cuts back to a shot of her looking. We go back, he's gone. He's gone, yeah. So has she so, seen him walk away or amble away? Or has he just evaporated? Because that's scary. Cause he, she doesn't register 
we never see him go. No. Which is weird because it almost like he dematerializes. Yeah. But her face doesn't register the shock of him just disappearing. Because that's a really strange thing because with the hedge and with the car outside the school, her attention is taken by other people. Yeah. She kind of looks away and then he, he's he got time to move. Or you see him move in the, the hedge. hedge you see him goes go back in. in. And then he's just not on the other side. Presumably, is he just legged it? I guess so. <laughs> maybe there's not a good, maybe they do have a footage of him like ambling back away from the clothesline, but it's not, it's probably it just not work. graceful, is it? And they also reshot the clothesline bit. Oh, okay. Um, but the clothesline one is a really iconic image as well. Mm. I think it's I think it's terrifying because she's by herself as well. And that's the one where... Uh, the reason I like it is because it's the first one where she actually registers that she's properly afraid. Whereas like the car one, she's like, mm, okay, I'm not really sure. The hedge one, she is just really freaked out by it. And by the time it gets to the clothesline one, she's like, right, now I'm actually... Oh, it's coming for me now, is yeah. it? There's um, some good ones later on, but I think all the daytime ones are definitely the main contenders for Yeah, me. definitely. When Tommy Doyle looks out and you see him silhouetted against the house. Yeah, that's looking, That's a really great image. When he appears from the darkness behind Laurie. Yeah. That's a really cool... That's incredible. ...scare as well. Yeah. The bigger jump scares are like when we said when he grabs Tommy outside of school. That's yeah. probably the biggest jump scare in the movie. Yeah, I think that's really, really good. And you don't see his face at all for that bit. Yeah. But imagine how scary Tommy must be. So Jesus. Seeing, seeing that mask. I think what was really fun was I was watching this with my partner and she wasn't, she was working, so she wasn't really watching it. Every single time that that score sting comes in, that it absolutely shit her up because they're used so well, but they're also, I feel like, I don't know, they're used in a classy way and they're not overused. Mm. I don't know. But in Halloween too, there's a lot of different things going on, which we'll get to talk about in the next episode. But for this, I feel like they're used quite sparingly. Absolutely. There's not that many of them. And there's yeah. lots of variety on these scores. They're all different ilks. Yeah. But I think my favorite is the hedge and yours is the clothesline. Yeah, I'm yeah. happy to give it to the clothesline. Yeah. I think, I think for me, that shot, I think, but, but I mean, it's very close to be fair, but I think because of the weirdness as well, it's like, well, where has he gone? That almost makes it a little oh, bit stranger. You just saw him like walk away and he got like snagged. It was quite fun. Do you remember? So we went to Paris once for uh, oh, yeah. Paris Games Week and it was around the time that a game called Fallout being re-released or a new one had come yeah, out or something like that. Like that. Yeah. But we'd be sent, the mascot for Fallout is basically this sort of 1940s sort of cartoon face boy. And we've been sent one of those. And for some reason, I think it was when Snapchat was big at IGN where we used to work. Yeah. So we were in charge of doing Snapchat content for that week. For Paris Games Week. So I had a big coat at the time. So he basically just put the mask on me and put in a big coat. And I just stood around different places. On the Eurostar? On the Eurostar. Outside the Eiffel Tower, around the convention center. Yeah, right. But you did blend in. Mm, uh, you were at a games convention. But same way you would blend in maybe on Halloween, which yeah. is the point you were making. Yeah, absolutely. I think like that was, and it was, it was really good fun being that. But we did it at like King's Cross Station and things like that, which was really, really good. She dug that out. Actually. Yeah, people just never bothered. I think we even put the Halloween music over the top of it as We well. did. We actually, I think we also put in um, Loomis's VO. Did we? Dark, yes. dark black eyes. Incredible. Love it. Okay, so we've had scariest moment, but what's the best kill? I think my favorite kill is Bob. There's actually not that many kills in this film. How many killings? How many killings? There's actually not that many at all. What we got? Five kills total, one of them off screen, two dogs, all Myers. That's the thing. Loomis delivers the line, he must have got hungry. So deadpan, as if eating dogs is something that Michael Myers does all the time. Loomis is never known to eat a dog. So I don't know why he's tarring him with that brush yeah. that he's a dog eater. Distilling that information down, the policeman is like, he's fucking eating what? He's eating dogs. Like Loomis just breaks that as if it's like the most normal news in the world. Oh yeah, by the way, this motherfucker eats dogs. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> Loomis, I told you he's pure evil. Yeah, no, but start with specifics. Yeah, but that is really odd. That's a good way of conveying yeah. someone's pure evil. They killed a dog. They killed a dog. And start Lo with that, Sam. And, and Loomis is absolutely fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite is Bob. Because that's the one where it's quite good misdirection because you think he's going to come from the other direction. And yeah. then he opens the cupboard and he comes out and he there's one of those things that you're talking about, grabs him by the neck. Yeah. And he pushes him up against the wall with one hand, yeah. lifts him up, stabs him through the chest. And then you get the that iconic head tilt. I think where he's, that's a really interesting kill. The head, the head tilt thing 
like I almost put that in my scariest moment because I think it's this bonkers bit where you just you get a little tiny bit of motivation I guess from it but it's such an iconic moment when you see that him do that because you just go god that's really weird and it almost like hangs around longer than another horror film would yeah. another horror film would cut as soon as that person is dead it would cut away but you get this really quiet moment and it's like weirdly intimate between him yeah. and the dead person it's almost like watching him breathe out mm. like his last breath and he's puzzled by it it's curious by it something quite childlike about it yeah has he hooked him onto something I think it's. I think it's meant to be the knife holding him in place. That's doing a lot of work. That is. Yeah. Again, why are they letting him lift weights? <laughs> Do you know how hard it would be to pick up someone by the neck? Yeah, rock solid. I mean, I know for a fact I can't do it. Yeah. So I'm weak. I, I think even neck, if you were incredibly strong, that's right. hard. Absolutely. Mm. I think is that's got to be almost one of those things like you know when they when scientists look at Die Hard and they go, that would rip him in half. Yeah. Or when you watch like Uncharted, yeah. the video game, you're like, there is no possible way that that man could jump from one platform to another like that. Or like another thing in Without films, his arms, when yeah. someone's grabbing someone by the one arm and pulls yeah. them up over a yeah, ledge, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, do you know how actually strong you would have to be or what your physical build would be to do that? Yeah, I guess you kind of just got to go along with it like that. Well, I might come into another category. There about you go. Michael, but I think that is my favorite kill. I'm absolutely happy to give it Bob because I think for the head tilt and everything, and it's on my list as well, but I think the Linda kill uh, also deserves a good shout out, like an honorable mention because it's and not just because she gets her boobs out. I was going to say. Not just because she gets her boobs out. Not just because. But one, I really dislike Linda as a character. Mm. I think I dislike everybody except for Laurie. Yeah, they are quite unlikable. But also that really crap horror movie trope where it was just like, none of you speak like humans at all. Like Laurie is the only one that I think, I mean, she even has some bonkers bits as well, but none of them really speak. And also, I mean, Bob's meant to be in school. He looks like a school headmaster. Like he looks so old, but yeah, Linda really gets on my nerves. So I was glad that she died, but also I just really love the weird confusion that you get. And then you obviously, it gets to end with Michael holding a phone, which will never not be funny to me. Why, why is he dress up? <laughs> Why is he, you know, after the head tilt, yeah. he's made a decision mm. and we don't see him do it. No. I would love to see footage of him getting ready. Absolutely. Well, that, I've put a little bit into one of my yeah. characters that comes in a bit later, but for best kill, 100% Bob. What's the matter? Can I get your ghost, Bob? So while five people and two dogs did die, uh, some people didn't, I guess because we're kind of doing slasher films, talk about final girls and survivors. Yeah. Laurie's obviously the big one in this film. I was reading a bit by John Carpenter. You know, in the years that followed, people use this as like saying that John Carpenter was super conservative and Laurie survives because she's the one that doesn't do drugs and she yeah. doesn't have sex, even though she does have a bit of a drag on a cigarette. Yeah. John Corbett is like, that's absolutely not true. Yeah. It's basically, she's just aware of what's going on. Yeah. She's not distracted throughout the entire evening. I didn't realize that he's meant to be conservative. I thought it was like... Well, that's... I think that's the reading of the movie. Right, Because okay. basically Michael Myers is a force that punishes um, kind of free women. He, okay, right, okay. That makes more sense, yeah. Yeah, I, I like that he's kind of almost... That he's debunked that as well, because I think... it's I, I love reading into films and doing textual analysis absolutely fine but i think where that then falls down is when you go oh no this is gospel this is the truth and yeah, you go it's one interpretation rather yeah, than absolutely. authorial intent yeah i guess like scream has a lot to answer for for that afterwards as well with like randy's rules laurie <laughs> uh, <laughs> laurie and loomis are our big like survivors for this um, i mean they're going to become to varying degrees staples of the entire series mm. I don't think anyone, like Laurie's, you say, she's such a sweet kid. Yeah. She, why are they friends with her? I have no idea. Because she's kind of presenting as the nerd, whereas her friends are quite cool. Yeah. I guess very small town. Yeah. Right? Lack of, uh, think she's, I guess she's quite affluent. So I don't know, because I think they're smoking weed in the car. So is she buying it for them or something? Yeah. Could maybe, be that. Maybe she'll just do all the babysitting while they have a good time. Well, that's the thing. She they kind of do use her in that final sequence. She's like, can you look after both kids? And yeah. She feels like quite doormatty because she will just say yeah to everything. I do really love how stressed she gets when 
she they make a, a little date with Ben, uh, off-screen Ben, which I think is really funny because she gets she's genuinely visibly stressed by the idea of actually going on a date. But yeah, she genuinely just seems like quite a nice person. What's kind of interesting is because you've interviewed her and seen plenty of interviews with her, mm. so unlike Jamie Lee Curtis in real life. Oh my god, yeah. Absolutely. Like almost the polar opposite of what Jamie Lee Curtis is actually like. Yeah. It's probably acting, isn't it? Yeah, she was the most confident person I think I've ever interviewed. And considering I've interviewed Vin Diesel, um, <laughs> I think that's quite a thing. She's got big energy, hasn't she? The commentary chat between her and Carpenter is really good because a lot of it is Jamie Lee Curtis just telling John Carpenter what he did. <laughs> like she's got bigger energy than John Carpenter. Yeah, you could kind of assume that. That'd be great, wouldn't it? That's the thing. Commentaries were this, I felt it was a huge thing for us because we grew up being film nerds. And the DVD at, era. At that time when it switched over to DVD, like I remember going to buy my first DVD and it being a big sort of day, you know? Remember your first DVD? I remember my first two I bought them I remember time. my first two. Yeah, yeah. I bought American Psycho and the original Texas Chainsaw Mask on the same day. Oh, amazing. I got seven in Jaws. Ooh, that's good. That's good. But I have to get my dad's dad, my mate's dad to, to <laughs> get my dad's dad to my buy it. My dad's dad to buy it. Yeah, because my dad was too young. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get my mate's dad to buy it for us from HMV in Newport. But he was like, are you sure you're allowed to watch this? Yes, 100%. Texas Chainsaw Mask? Yeah, I was, absolutely. I was absolutely not. That's no way. Based on a true story, did you know? <laughs> but Commentaries is a huge thing. And I remember really looking forward to commentaries. Like, I obviously, I loved the films of Kevin Smith and his ones were legendary. I mean, and then the guy, he basically went on to make his, in, you know, have a resurgence in his career off the back of people really loving those commentaries. It was a, a thing that went away and I can't understand why it did. It became podcasting. Exactly. That's literally what happened though. That's what it is, That's isn't definitely it? Definitely for Kevin Smith it did. Absolutely. He built an entire business on it. Because people love the commentaries on all of his DVDs and things like that. I haven't listened to the commentary, but I really should um, on, on this one. Because I do, yeah, I do love the idea of just Jamie Lee Curtis watching and being afraid and being like, what the hell is happening? She finds everything the scariest <laughs> thing she's ever seen. <laughs> and John Carver is going, it's not that scary anymore. You should watch a modern film. She goes, yeah. it's the scariest thing I've ever seen, John. I guess we don't get to see Loomis and Laurie together either, which is, I guess, really ever like, together. Well, yeah. they only meet at the end, don't they? Yeah. I would have put money on Loomis dying in the first one because they're quite fortunate they don't kill him off yeah because it's just it's someone that you need to have a, it, it would have been someone that would be really a good if you could have had a decent kill as you say there's not a lot of kills in this um so you could have had it he has to do so much bonkers stuff in this and even though he's only in the film for 18 minutes i think as you say we talked about it a lot but just shouting about evil all the time it's interesting we never in hypothetical world hmm He's got to be interviewing Jamie Lee Curtis next, Laurie, as part of his job, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Like, where are those scenes? I want to see those scenes. They never met those. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that, you know, telling the thing that death has come to your little town, you're like, mate, you've got to be better at telling me what's going on. Because that is not... Specifics. Yeah. <laughs> Say a man who kills dogs and eats dogs is yeah. loose in your town. Mm. You just said evil. I think... What I do think is really brilliant about Laurie Strode as a character in this, before we get, you know, any backstory or anything like that, she's just, why have I been targeted by this maniac just coming after me? Because I'm so lovely <laughs> and I'm so nice. Why, why? Is it just a maniac on the loose? Because I know he's killing my friends and things like that. I think but... because we have to talk about this film based on what we know at the time of watching yeah. this film. So... Obviously, the revelation that comes in too isn't in play here. Yeah. It is just random. Mm. And that's, I guess, the whole point is that it's scarier that yeah. she is being targeted. There isn't any real reason. No. It could have been anyone. That's way scarier. Yeah. That's way scarier. Can't do that for another <laughs> 10 films, though. No, that's true. Because you just go, why is he doing that? I think, like, you know, that's obviously the problem with Jaws the Revenge. Where they just go, no, he's yeah. specifically... Michael Caine is his brother. <laughs> he's specifically after this one family that he's taken on bridge with. <laughs> How smart is this shark? Yeah. <laughs> why is this shark on an agenda beyond eating? Yeah, and I, I think there is a part of me that really dislikes Loomis as a character, but there's also a part of me that he's my favorite character, mm. which I, I think is really strange. But you've got to be in awe of that performance. Absolutely. Because he yeah. does it with such commitment. And he yeah. has some bonkers lines. Also, a lot of his lines, and you'll see it in the next one, they're complete non-secretaries to what oh, people are saying to him. It's brilliant. People yeah. will say stuff to him. He's going, he's got his own line that he's going to be peddling no matter what you're saying to his face. Yeah. 
What I really like as well is you see that he's parked in a disabled space. Hasn't got time for it. Hasn't got time for it. Evil's on the loose. I'm parking in a disabled space. We'll all be disabled by evil soon. <laughs> I love that. I have the feeling that you're way off on this. You have the wrong feeling. Well, you're not doing very much to prove me wrong. What more do you need? Well, it's going to take more than fancy talk to keep me up all night crawling around these bushes. I, I, I watched him for 15 years, sitting in a room, staring at a wall, not seeing the wall, looking past the wall, looking at this night in humanly patient, waiting for some secret silent alarm to trigger him off. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. You can either ignore it or you can help me to stop it. More fancy talk. Okay, so let's really dig down into Michael's motivations. What are his motivations in this? His little fridge. <laughs> <laughs> he just hates people shagging. He really does, yeah. Death his sister. Well, he does look genuinely shocked by what he's done. Yeah. Okay, we can pull the cards on the table. Mm. If we think he's genuinely possessed by some kind of supernatural force, like yes. he is evil. Yeah. There's different ways of this. He's just evil in the sense that he has no sense of right and wrong, good yeah. and bad. So he is a psychopath. Yeah. Or he's animated by some evil force. Right. Prior to killing Judith, was he just a happy-go-lucky normal boy? Mm. I feel like he probably was because he's dressed up for Halloween. Got, yeah. His parents don't see, you know. And then that one night is that when the evil takes over him. Yeah. And then from then on, Michael doesn't exist anymore. And that's why he's not referred to by name anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. He just becomes this vessel of evil. Because I think like when we talk about whether or not he's evil, for me, it's not whether or not he is just e an evil person. It's whether or not he is possessed by an actual evil. And that seems to be what initially Loomis kind of presents it as like, he's evil, psychopath. Yeah. But as he talks more and more, mm. and as we get into other films, it's like... There's actually something bigger in play here. But I think that's the point that we talked about and it's obviously like a huge running theme was like Loomis is really not good at expressing himself yeah. or what he knows or what information he wants to distill. Do you know what was really weird is right at the beginning when, because one, the first person thing is fantastic, but if that feels like it's being filmed by someone who is six foot odd because yeah. they are walking past doorways and things like that. And you're like, because it is obviously a huge reveal when you see that it's a kid. Yeah. Doing it and you're like, that's fantastic. But also you know, when he's standing outside, you watch his mum. His mum just slowly puts her hands in her pockets. <laughs> so she's, they've just come home from somewhere. They go, Michael. His son's covered in blood. He's got a knife that's covered in blood. And his mum just slowly, we watch it like, it's so weird. Just slowly puts her hands in her jacket pocket. Oh, he's done it again. I was like, what? He looked absolutely fine with the situation. It's really odd. Is it the quickest shag in film history? Oh my God, it's weird, isn't it? It's seconds. I mean, the other one later on that we actually see is oh, not yeah. that much longer. Fair. But that other guy is dressed and out the door. But okay. then like, so this is the thing. Is he mad that his sister is having sex or is he mad that she's having attention or attention has been drawn away or something like that? She's been neglectful of him. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, it's not for very long. <laughs> I'm just trying to think like, if you're going to say we're treating him more as a person with yeah. motivations, he kills his negligent babysitter, yeah. comes back 15 years later, who does he go after? Negligent babysitters. Is, yeah, and the yeah. one that survives is actually the very good babysitter. The decent babysitter, yeah. Because it was going to be called the babysitter murderer. It was, yeah. So it, is he just, he's really doing babysitter performance reviews. Aggressively. Ad, ad hoc. <laughs> 15 years apart. As a six-year-old kid, you don't know if a babysitter is good or bad. Surely. Well, also, you might think a bad babysitter is a really good one. Yeah, true. they just leave you with like a beer and a film. 100%, yeah. Yeah, it's a cigarette. Go sh knock yourself out. It's great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. But I guess like in Friday 13th, there's a little bit more to it where you go, yes, they are negligent carers, but their negligence has actually resulted in the death of one of the kids, whereas like, what's he? He's just being ignored for a couple of minutes. Literally <laughs> just, a couple of minutes. He's just outside, dressed as a clown. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's kind of strange. Unless she's, you know, she was meant to take him trick or treat and instead she's shagging. <laughs> Don't know, do you? Uh, I guess that's the thing with like, not knowing. Are we saying that that is his motivation? I think the fact that it's going to be called the babysitter murderers, murder. I think that's one way you can interpret his behavior. Yeah. But I think the whole film plays on the ambiguity of him is he i think you're meant to go is loomis using 
just very hyperbolic language. Yeah. Or as the film progresses, there start to be little bits of information that kind of corroborate this idea that he is genuinely evil. Yeah. So we've already touched upon it. He seems supernaturally strong. Yes. Not just human strong. The fact that he loves Bob in the way that he does yeah. is supernaturally strong. But then as we move on into the very final bit of the film, he keeps getting up yeah. from things he should not be getting up from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously the ending is the big clue that I think there's obviously more here. Yeah. He's got, he, got, he gets up after being shot six times yeah. and falling from an upstairs balcony. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you're meant to not know. You think Loomis is over-egging it. And then when he disappears at the end, going, oh my God, Loomis was right. See, for me, I think the amount of effort that he puts up, he puts into some scenes makes it that he's got to be human. Because if he's some weird supernatural evil force could still have it could still be a laugh could still be a laugh why is he putting that like as you say putting that sheet on and putting the glasses over the top that is hilarious but what's that? and then also staging the little haunted house for laurie when she comes over yeah where it's like reveal 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 and they just keep revealing themselves in these both bonkers way the nick's judas headstone yeah why if you're an set evil dressing person, but you could have a sense of the theatrical yeah <laughs> I guess then you go going, what is he possessed by? Because, you know, true. a mischievous evil spirit. That's, I mean, uh, yeah, to be fair, that is true. That in, would in tie my in, like, the devil or, you know. Yeah, in my head, it would be like this weird otherworldly force mm. that doesn't know about weird murder tableaus. <laughs> like, where you just go, what was the, po- what, what are you doing there? Or it's, or it is the, if it is evil in our sense, like, it is the devil who does like to play tricks? Mm. I think that's just like, and that's guess what Halloween is. If you're going to go into like, yeah. the, you know, the the membrane between our world and the next world becomes permeable. But I really feel like the way that he does his things is really of our world. Yeah, none of it, other than the fact that he's super strong. Unless is that supernatural? Get way into into the metaphysics here. Mm. Unless the thing that animates him still access has the access to the world of a 21 year old boy. Yeah, that. That the, makes sense. The the kind of the imagery, like you is still Michael doing this in collaboration with yeah. this thing that has kind of hijacked his body. You would as well. That's the whole point that this force would then take over someone like that because that there is a an advantage to taking over that body because it's a twenty year old man with access to the, these kinds of weird thoughts and feelings and things like that. So then are you being are you manipulating it a little bit? I don't know. I think Loomis, this is the thing, I think a lot of this you have to really rely on the fact that you are trusting Loomis. And I do not trust that man one bit. <laughs> because, as you say, he's only putting in a half day shift. And I really want more than that. I want, he's also he doesn't specialize in supernatural psychiatry. No, absolutely. Has not. he ever encountered anything like this before? Like He's almost a bit, I guess this is why they wanted to get Cushing. Hmm. He's essentially Van Helsing. Yes. But Van Helsing famously knew a lot about vampires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas he does, he's never... He he's breaking new ground here. Yeah, he's doing other things. He's seeing other patients and things like that. He's just a doctor. He's a psychiatrist, right? Because he has failed fundamentally to reach this person. Evil, got to be evil. Well, you back yourself that much, do you, Loomis? Oh, uh, if, I, if I can reach him... Must well, be evil. Pure, it's got, it's got I'd evil. say pure evil. Should we get a second opinion? <laughs> At any point? I think we should. What did the second opinion say? <laughs> Psychopath? Nah. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, the word lazy. That's absolutely not. No. Evil. Have you read my notes? Yes, we have, Doctor. Why were they not presented at the hearing? The judge requested Dr. Foster's analysis. I actually kind of like the weird evil mythos stuff that comes into it. I think it obviously was uncontrolled in the way that they were planning it and writing it. But I feel like I do kind of like a little bit of that. I do, but then then it pushes it into one versus the other, where I think what is the brilliance of this film and probably why it endures is finally poised between the two possibilities. And... Because of that, it feels really uncanny. Yeah. Like, it isn't, it isn't definitively supernatural. Because no. it is possible he could get up after six bullets. Yeah. Could have just died around the corner. Yeah. But the fact you don't see him at the end just leaves that little loophole mm. that there is something more. And you can interpret all of Loomis's pronouncements, yeah. as dramatic as they are, within that. Same time, nah, 
of course he's real. We know he's real. Been, he's been stabbed by a knitting needle. Exactly. So, is Michael Myers pure evil? Oh, yeah, big time. No way. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. On the next episode, we're finding out what happened to Laurie, Sam and Mike five minutes later in the not-so-classic Halloween 2. The Definitive Companion is made by RKG. We make podcasts and videos about things we love, including manifestations of pure evil. If you'd like to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash RKG. There's something very weird about the cast for this film, Gav. Do you know who played Judith Myers? Not off the top of my head, no. Judith Myers is played by Sandy Johnson. (laughs) What? Not that Sandy Johnson, but isn't it weird that Sandy John- there's a Sandy Johnson in this film? So if you uh, n- if you only listen to the- if you only if you listen if they, if they don't know <laughs> they don't deserve it. Fine, yeah, that's a little, little Easter egg that'll run through all these little podcasts. Sandy Johnson. <laughs> we can only do definitive companion on things that star that as Sandy, Sandy Johnson. Johnson. That's wild. It's a weird coincidence. That's also, it is wild how much uh, my brain is taken over by the name Sandy Johnson, to be fair. Uh, and long may it continue.